following message is by Dr. W. Robert Godfrey, President of Westminster Seminary, California. For more information, please visit our website at www.wscal.edu. That's wscal.edu. This semester we've been considering as a faculty, First Thessalonians in this semester, and I'd like to turn again to that book with you and ask you to follow along in the reading as I read from the beginning of chapter 1 through chapter 2, verse 13. First Thessalonians chapter 1, beginning at verse 1, let us hear God's own word. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. For though, although we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. And you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaimed to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you, believers. So far the reading 
of God's word. Well, I always come to the last chapel of the semester with a certain uh, wariness, um, half suspecting that no one will be here. Uh, And I uh, concluded that uh, those who would be here would probably fall into one of three categories. Uh, The well-organized and efficient who already have their papers done. The despairing who see no prospect of uh, finishing. (laughs) And the pious who come to chapel no matter what. So I don't know which category you fit into, but whichever one, I'm glad to see you today. And uh, I hope that you have found this a good semester of study, a good semester of working at the Word, because that's what we do here. That's what we hope you're doing here, Uh, working at the Word, seeking to know the Word, seeking to know it, whether it's in a, a biblical studies class, whether it's in a systematic studies class, whether it's in practical theology, or whether it's in church history. Our aim is to be looking at the Word, growing in the Word, knowing the Word. Uh, coming to a deeper understanding of it. And here at the end of this semester, almost at the end, the end of the chapel periods of this semester, I would like you to meditate briefly with me this morning on these closing words of verse 13 of chapter 2 of 1 Thessalonians, where Paul talks about the word of God which is at work in you. And my question not on a final examination, but a spiritual question this morning, is has the word of God been at work in you in this semester? There is a danger that we work so hard at the word that we may lose track of this apostolic conviction that the primary purpose of the word is to work in us, to have an effect in us, to be laboring in us. And has that been your experience? As you've labored in the Word, as you've listened to the Word, as you've studied to the Word, has the Word worked in you this semester? Uh, Paul wants to remind us here, firstly, that the Word is vigorous in its character. It is the Word of God. Has the Word worked in you this semester to convince you more and more that it is not the Word of men in the first place, in the final analysis, most fundamentally? but that it is the Word of God. That should be the effect of studying His Word, that the Word would work in us more and more to impress upon us its divine origin. I hope that's happened to you. It's happened to me this semester. Uh, As some of you know, um, I uh, either study Amy Semple McPherson or the Psalms, and um, (laughs) a little bit of contrast there, and... uh, uh, I, I suppose one of the great benefits for me personally in studying the Psalms is to have more and more sense this really is the Word of God. Uh, there is a profoundness here. There is a depth here. There is a, a, a power here that can only come from God. There is a vigorous character to the Word of God which works in us. The book of Hebrews puts that uh, powerfully for us, doesn't it? It's living and active. It's not a dead thing. It's living and active, and is it working you? And it's vigorous character, as Paul develops it here in these opening verses of 1 Thessalonians, has particularly to do with the gospel. He uses the word gospel over and over and over again. It's particularly in its good news that the word works powerfully. This is not to deny that the law works powerfully as well. 
But here it's interesting that Paul underscores the gospel, the good news that the apostles bore to Thessalonica and that people responded to as that word of the gospel worked vigorously in them. Has the gospel worked vigorously in your hearts this semester? Uh, Paul summarizes the gospel uh, in a telling way in uh, verse 10 of chapter 1, um, how they turned to God, and then verse 10, to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. It's a wonderful way to summarize the gospel. Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. The good news is not that there is no wrath to come. That's the gospel that some churches would like to preach today. Uh, The good news is that although there is certainly wrath to come, Jesus delivers his own from that wrath. He forgives their sin through his death on the cross. He brings them life by his resurrection, and he's coming again to make all things new. That's good news. That's the vigorous character of the gospel. And are you more confident of that than you were at the beginning of the semester? Has the word worked that confidence in you, in its vigorous character? Well, the word has not only a vigorous character, but vital connections. I always uh, remind Howell Jones that it's the Welsh that are responsible for my proclivity to alliterations. Gwyn Walters, uh, a remarkable Welsh preacher. But Paul makes clear that the word doesn't work just in isolation. It works in vital connections. First of all, of course, the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that impresses the word upon our hearts. Uh, Paul refers to the Holy Spirit in verse 5 of chapter 1. Because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit. We all acknowledge, ultimately, the Word does its work in us not because of our wisdom, not because of our labors, not because of our efforts, but because the Holy Spirit accompanies the Word to impress it on the hearts of God's people. And that's what so thrilled Paul as he thought about his ministry amongst the Thessalonians. Here were people who could easily, because of suffering, turned against the Word. Who, rather than finding sudden relief and blessing and prosperity and health because of the gospel, found themselves more afflicted because of the gospel. And yet, because that word came to them in the power of the Holy Spirit, they received it with joy, Paul said. And so the Holy Spirit is an indispensable part of our growing in the word. The Spirit, we believe, works through that word and with that word. To accomplish his purpose. And our hope as a faculty, my prayer for you, is that that word has been working with the Spirit in your heart and that by the Spirit and by the word, you have grown in faith. Paul says that the word 2.13 is at work in you believers. Uh, faith, trust, confidence is the fundamental reaction that we must have to the word of God. We have to trust this word. That's why Paul is so delighted that they do receive it as the word of God. That's kind of the first reaction of trust. This isn't just the word of men. This isn't just some myth that's made up. This isn't just some uh, pious gobbledygook. It is the very word of God, and we receive it and trust it and believe it and rest in it. And so it works 
a full conviction and assurance in our hearts. Paul refers to that in chapter 1, verse 5 as well. Has your confidence, your assurance been built up as the word has worked in you? That's our prayer that it has, that it really has. And then that word not only has a vigorous character and a vital connection, it also has visible consequences. Uh, the Thessalonians were changed by the word working in them. They were more a people of faith, hope, and love than they had been before the word came to them. They were a people who were now seeking to imitate God and Christ and the apostles in the way they lived. They were now seeking to live lives that were worthy of God. Always a rather frightening expression, I think. Now, Paul seems to be able to say it so confidently. He goes on to say, uh, not only should you live lives worthy of God, but I've lived a life worthy of God, holy, righteous, and blameless. And you're called to be holy, righteous, and blameless. I want one of the biblical scholars to speak to us on that text one day and make clear. But what is clear is that Paul is able to say to the Thessalonians, you know my ministry had integrity, had faithfulness, had no great blots on it. And that's what your lives are to be like as well. If the word's been working in you, your life should be changing. Your life should be changing in perhaps dramatic ways, perhaps in subtle ways. Paul says your worship should be changing. The Thessalonians fled idolatry to, to worship the living God. Has your worship been deepened? Has it become more biblical? Has it become more Christ-centered as the work as the word has worked in you. And then on chapter 1, verse 8, he says, This word which has been working at you, for not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere. Now, Paul is saying that one of the visible consequences of the word working in you is the word that you receive will resound to others. Is that characteristic of what the word has done for you? That you are now making God even more known, more eager to make him known, more eager that the blessings you have received in Christ might be made known to others. It's a wonderful thing to think about the word working in us. And it works because it is powerful, because it is God's word, because it is accomplished by the Holy Spirit, because it is received by faith, because it changes us more and more into the image of Christ. Martin Luther, second only to Amy Semple McPherson in my affections. Um, uh, Martin Luther was uh, once challenged to be more active in trying to make a political difference in Germany. And many of his political supporters were frustrated that he would not do more of a political sort. And once uh, sitting, the story goes, in a beer garden with Philip Melanchthon and talking about uh, what should be done, Luther sat back, relaxed, and smiled and said, Oh, Philip, well, this is the dynamic equivalent translation. Oh, Philip, give it a rest. The word will do it. The word will do it. Do we have that confidence that the word we possess is not the word of men, but the word of God. And if we have that confidence, then we can say with Luther, the word will do it. The word will accomplish its purpose. 
The, Lord, the word will build the church of Jesus Christ. The word will be at work in us to fill us more and more with faith in the gospel and to see our lives transformed. May that be the fruit of what we experience this semester, every semester, and throughout our lives as we seek to serve the Lord.